I go into organizations in my previous life and I will hear about all these processes, but there's no place that they live and there's no system or format for the way the processes are written. Start with an SOP for your SOPs. Start with a, a template for what a process flowchart looks like and give yourself a chance for success because a process written on the back of a napkin might get you somewhere, but having some continuity and visibility into your processes by being consistent with your SOPs and things like that will give you the best chance for success. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. Hey, everybody. This is Fraser with the Wealthy Contractor. Now, you might be wondering where Brian is this week. Well, Brian has actually snuck away to enjoy a well-deserved vacation. In fact, all of us here at The Wealthy Contractor hope that you are enjoying your summer as well and making time for a little bit of fun. Speaking of fun, we have a really cool treat for you today on the podcast. If you like a transformation story, then you're going to want to pay real close attention to this one. Today, you get to hear a session from our most recent event, Accelerate Live in Fort Lauderdale, where we had four business owners on a panel called Mastering the Formula for Success. Now, what's interesting about these four business owners is that they had dramatically different businesses just four years ago. Today, each of them spend more time working on their business rather than in their business. And as a result, they get to focus on growing their bottom line and spending more and more time away from their business. So as you listen to this episode, you'll find out some clues to their success that you yourself could implement in your business as soon as today. Now turn up the volume and get ready to take some notes. Let me tell you a little bit about this panel and why I've asked these four people to be here. So I know, I know these guys pretty well. And I think they have all but him. You're almost been on the podcast. No, wait a minute. We haven't done it yet. We have not done it yet. But he's going to be soon. And and it's going to be a great episode. But I've known him for years and years and years. But here's what's really kind of interesting and cool about this group. Three years ago, four years ago, their businesses and their lives were in very, very different places than they are today. And the execution, the implementation that these guys have all done over the last two or three years has really been awesome. And so what I thought would be cool was all this stuff that we're talking about here, these guys actually went and like did it. And so I thought it would be good for you guys to hear a little bit of their stories and then also be able to ask them questions about how they executed, how they implemented, and how they overcame some of their challenges, all right? So let's, we'll start down there. We'll start with you, Brian. So up until three minutes ago, they were all asked, what are we doing up on this panel? And so I told all of them, the question that I want them to initially answer is, where were you three or four years ago? And this could be in any different, because Brian's is going to be a little bit different than everybody. Everybody's is going to be a little bit different. 
And so where were you three or four years ago, and where are you today? And what was kind of the big thing that you had to overcome in order to get there? All right? So, good? Good. Go. Brian Miller. Hey, I'm Brian Miller. I'm with Outback Deck. We're in Atlanta, and we are primarily deck company, but do some outdoor living as well. In 2018, John Gwaltney and I are business partners, and we were a company that was still largely run and operated by owners. Uh, we did have a couple of sales guys, but John was running production at the time, and I was running sales at the time, and we were both running sales appointments. And we were out in the field a lot, and we were working a whole lot. And we made good money, but not great money, but we made good money. Today, we are largely out of the business. We have a leadership team, so we have a director of production, we have a sales manager, we have a marketing manager, we have a process and implementation manager who runs our admin staff, and we have a finance manager, and we rely on the team, the leaders and the team, to do all the heavy lifting and, and really run the business while, while we're out trying to scale and grow the company and learn new things and get better as, as owners. Cool. What was the one, what was the one big thing that you kind of had to overcome? Because I know you guys, great business, but you guys were doing everything. So what was it, how did you overcome that? Because I know that, you know, there's maybe a couple people in here that are in that same, same place. So how did you overcome that? Yeah, so we, I had a remodeling company that I started in the late 90s. John was in the siding and window business and the deck business spun out of my remodeling firm. So when we first merged the, the company a little bit over 11 years ago, we were, we were doing everything. And, and probably it's five, six years ago now, we were in an event and somebody was speaking on the book Good to Great that Jim Collins wrote. And, and if you guys are familiar with that book, if you're not, you should get it. If you are, I mean, he talks a lot about the hedgehog concept and this, this idea that you, if you have passion for something, and if you can make really good money at it, and it's something that you can sort of everybody needs or wants, then you can build a, a business around that. Right? Those three things are uber important to being able to be successful. And what we realized in our business is because we had our hands in so many things, we weren't effective at the thing that was most important at generating profit or our profit engine, which was deck. So we began a process of what we call fewer better created stop doing lists in the business. We stopped doing certain services that weren't really, really profitable for us. We measured that against the profitability of every job we did in the deck business. And we quickly pushed a few things aside and then slowly got the team involved in helping us to scale back on the other things that we were doing so that we could focus all of our attention and effort toward the one thing that we were most passionate about and that generated the most profit and allowed us to serve many, many more people, which is a huge part of who we are as an organization. So that's what it really was. Cool. Let's go down here to Craig Leary. Craig Leary from, from Home Remodeling Pros of Central PA. Three or four years ago, I was in an interesting place. I had uh, just parted ways with my employer, a company you guys may have all heard of, uh, West Shore Home. Uh, they're doing just a few little things in our industry that are pretty remarkable. And I had to decide at uh, 33 years into the 
industry what I wanted to do. I know I didn't want to go to another big company. I had done that three times. And so I went down the path of acquiring a small company, a company that was 30 years old, never done more than a half a million dollars, literally had one employee. And I was really thinking about what I wanted this company to be. So my path is a little bit different in that I knew right away I wasn't going to be the guy who did everything in the business. I knew right away I was going to build a business with decentralized command versus me as the hub of the business. And I knew that because I was running a very successful uh, coaching and consulting business and I wasn't going to give that up. So I was just really getting situated to start a totally different path. My, my career had been windows, sunrooms, siding. I was going into interior remodeling, kitchens, bathrooms, and basements. And yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting position to be in after 33 years in the industry. And today, what does the business look like? So today, we are 50 employees strong. We're just getting ready to expand into a contiguous market. And I wanted, to, I wanted to prove you wrong, frankly, Brian, and others, because people think this isn't a scalable business. It is complex. You know, there are a lot of moving parts. And, and I really want to prove that we can get three or four or five locations with shared resources in the interior modeling business. So we're going to be putting that to the test very soon. Awesome. So we're talking about, he's talking about doing like, you know, remodeling, general remodeling additions and things like, do you do additions too? Yeah. I remember you telling me that a few years ago and I think I did say that, well, never mind. What you said was I was out of my mind and <laughs> I, should, I should stick with something that has quick cash turnaround and you're probably right, but I took it as a challenge. So yeah. Thank you okay. For that. Cool. John O'Leary. O'Leary Roofing. So O'Leary Roofing, we're out of uh, Northeast Pennsylvania. Had to, came to a crossroads after 35 years of being an installer with a couple guys. Decided that I was gonna go into this uh, model of the business rather than sell cars. Seemed like it'd be more fun. The, the bottom line was is I, I really knew that my entire career that if I wanted to know how to do something, I'd go get, find out from somebody else that had already taken the lumps and uh, went to some really great seminars, not as good as this one, but some really good ones, and got some great advice from industry people and have grown the business over the past couple of years. And like uh, John A. and I get in everybody's way. Two weeks, uh, I've been training my operations manager, my replacement, so we're looking at, uh, looking at maybe a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. It's not the train coming the other way for a change. Okay, so that was, okay, that was a bad version of his story. So, was it in 18 or 19, I get an email from Sherry, his wife, the lovely better half. And I forgot how you guys found me, but I get this email and it's, hey, would you mind taking a look at our, our P&Ls? We want to know if we're, if we're, I don't know, if we're doing it right or if we're doing okay. So I'm like, oh God, here we go. How am I gonna tell them that they're doing a horrible job? I open up the PDF and I go straight, I go top line, I go bottom line. I'm like, damn, these people are getting it. I was really impressed. And so we had, we had a conversation. She told me that John, like a year before this, was on the roof installing roofs. And now they had this 
company, they had this business. A year later, we're talking, and oh, they have an opportunity to buy this building. I'm like, whoa, what's going on in the business? So they buy this building, and they move the business into the building. Then he starts bringing on salespeople, puts in a sales system. Pretty soon, how many salespeople do you have now? Uh, we just hired number five. Number five. And how many projects did you do last year? How many, job, how many roofs did you put in last year? 370. 370. Cool. And you now are, we're getting Sherry out of a job, and you are getting out of a job. So you're going to be, how many hours a week do you work now? Uh, about 600. No, you don't. No. no. Four days a week. No more four Fridays. Days. Yeah, four days a week. Four days a week. Right? It's awesome. Cool. John Kolbaska from Staten Island, New York. So Brian asked me at the Profit Summit to do a testimonial for him, and I refused to do it. So I guess he's getting even with me, keeping me up on stage here for 45 <laughs> minutes. I don't really like to talk about myself. 2018, I had, uh, it was my second business. And uh, it was my second year in my second business. And the first business, I had worked with a national retail flooring business. And I was very busy. I was probably doing uh, an upwards of 5,000 plus jobs per year and wasn't making any money. Luckily, I sold that uh, after four years of being in that business. I got a little bit of money. I went home. I thought to myself, I'm going to take six months off. And after about two weeks of being home, me and my wife, we looked at each other and she said, you got to go back to work. <laughs> and uh, so I started the Men With Tools in Staten Island, New York. And in 2018, I was making the same mistakes. I didn't know what to charge. I was it's, I had a $600 window. I'm selling a soft light window. It was a commodity. I didn't have a sales system in place. I was the sales manager. I was the marketing manager. It was me, two installers, and an office manager. And I started looking out on the internet. I discovered Brian and a couple other podcasts and started listening and attending events. And 2019, my first accelerate event, I remember all of the stuff that we covered here at the very beginning. And I was writing notes, and I believe I shared that with you, Brian, right? Yep, yep. And I talked about all the things Shock. I was going to do. And um, within three months, I went, I went, I literally went into the, off, uh, into the room that first night, and I started changing my pricing. Right there in my price book, I pulled it up out of my Google, uh, my Google Drive, just started raising my prices 40%, because I knew I was going to have to do that to, to build the business. And then uh, went home, uh, back to the office, and I implemented a couple other things to justify that price increase. So 2021, I did $5 million. I have a full-time call center. My call center manager's here. I have four salespeople. I have an operations. I have a production manager. And uh, yeah, I'm a real business now. And 20% uh, net at the end of the year. Execution, implementation, people, process, you hear the same kind of things over and over again. So with you, let's talk process. By the way, you're the second person today. Another, somebody came up to me at one of the breaks and said, you know, when I first met you, I thought you were, sorry, Anna, but I have to say what he said. He said, I thought you were full of shit. And I was like, oh, and do you still think that? <laughs> and, so it's kind of similar to the conversation that me and Craig had. It's like, do you really want to do that? And you did it. 
And of course, anything Craig does, he, de- he does well. But talk about process, because it's hard enough to do replacement windows, to do, to do a roof, to do a deck. But when you're going in there and you're doing multi-week projects, talk a little bit about how do you start to develop processes for, your, for a business? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would start by saying there's two worlds. There's the one that you as an owner think is happening in the field, and then there's the real world, right? So we've learned to go into the field and start to map out our processes. We have processes for everything in the business. If you have to terminate an employee, there's an entire process flow chart with embedded links that will give you every document you need and help with scripting. and, And so we built our processes for everything, but it starts with the front lines. The second thing we do is we basically go through a current state process to a future state mapping to really determine what we want it to look like. I won't bore you with the next part, but it's really then aligning with your CRM with a gap analysis to make sure you can build everything out in the CRM. And then, you know, behavioral change is so much more difficult than process change, and it's really about having a great plan to execute on the behavioral changes. So we basically stay in front of the frontline staff, the team, consistently for support and for expectation setting and agreements that we will be delivering on this. But process is a slow and arduous process. One last thing I'll say is I go into organizations in my previous life and I will hear about all these processes, but there's no place that they live and there's no system or format for the way the processes are written. Start with an SOP for your SOPs. Start with a a template for what a process flowchart looks like and give yourself a chance for success because a process written on the back of a napkin might get you somewhere, but having some continuity and visibility into your processes by being consistent with your SOPs and things like that will give you the best chance for success. So let me, let's drill down a little bit. You bought the company, there was you and one employee that you got basically, right? So all of this work fell on you, right? No, no. no. I, I had planned, this is a horrible thing to say, don't throw anything at me. This is so in, antithetical to what we all teach, and myself included. But I had planned on losing money. I said, I'm not going to buy this business and step into this guy's shoes and go out and install cabinets. So I had selected a number, I won't share that with you, and I said, this is what I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose this amount of cash. I put the cash in the business, and I executed on my plan. I lost more than I planned. Shocking, I know. And so I started with really thinking about what my leadership team was going to be like. I literally never served a role in this organization other than I would run an occasional overflow lead till I got fired from that because my paperwork sucks so bad that they won't let me do it. But I've never held a position in the company. I, I remember in the early days, right as we were getting into Dubai, I said my job is two things, people and profit. And by people, I don't mean the customer. My team will take care of the customer. I need to take care of the team. So that's been the approach. That's fascinating. When you go, I'm still on the process thing. Because I know, you know, we come to these things and we hear about process. And you hear about the processes that they have, right? John's got a process for everything. Craig's got a process for everything. The O'Leary's, I mean, all down the line, you keep hearing about all, all of these guys. Process, process, process. But how do you actually sit down and develop a process? What did yours look like? Like, what is it, Yeah. So the development of that look like? Just go through a quick exercise in your mind. So just imagine there's a line on the horizon, 
okay? And then imagine that on the left is inbound leads. And that line represents the value stream of your customer, right? And then you get to the end and that reflects a referral and you know, a, a five-star review and a survey completed, right? And then imagine every fall-off point that exists on that line. And Tim mentioned it earlier today, you know, that metric at the end is so critical. And then that gives you your customer journey. So that is actually where you start with your process, right? And you think through, okay, for us to execute on this effectively, what tools do we need? What SOPs do we need? How to use the tools? What training do we need? Right? And then you go to the support functions like HR, how to onboard, how to offboard. But you start with that customer journey and you literally build a straight line value stream of what that looks like with every fall off point. Right? My experience going into organizations like we all own is that the, the owners think that they need one of three things. I need more time because I'm working too hard. I need more leads or I need more sales. And they don't understand that the difference between the leads and the sales the fall-off points are so precipitous that they're not paying attention to, and it's really when you, when you start to map that journey out that you'll understand where you need to go. Yeah, cool. People with you guys. People was a big thing. So you guys were there every day. You guys were, you guys were in it every day. And now all of a sudden, it's like, well, we want out. We want to start moving ourselves out. We want to move up. We want to be more strategic business owners. How did your team react to that? And how did you, how did you kind of develop the team to say, it's okay that John and Brian are not going to be here as much anymore. We're working them out of the business. Yeah, so or, it's a, I mean, it is definitely a progression. And, and in some sense, it's a lot like what Craig was talking about. You begin with the end in mind. So he's saying, you know, hey, you have this, this line that runs across the horizon and with with process and and with any change in the organization it starts with your people and it ends with your people and the business is really all about your people if you want to be an owner and you want to be an owner that that can be apart from the business then you need to invest and develop your people in order to get there and so that should be your number one priority the one thing you're never going to give up is human resource you need to be the person who is involved in, in making sure that, that team health and cohesion exists. Right? So it's not enough to grab the team and bring them in, but you need to correlate that team. And, and by correlate, I mean you, you need each person who's supposed to carry the ball to carry it correctly. John was making reference to that earlier. He's got alignment with his management team and what their responsibilities are and how he remunerates for that, them for that when they do the right things. And when they don't, he has a way to manage through that with them. So for us, what it really became was this concept of here's where we're going and how can we help you guys get there? So a little bit at a time, we began to release certain parts of the business and certain pieces to them and come around them and teach, train, deploy, monitor, nurture, the five-fold leadership model, right? So if you guys are, any of you guys are churchgoers, you might hear that there. It's big, it's big in, in volunteerism. But for us, it became about, you know, making sure that, that they knew what was expected of them and then making sure that they understood we're right here with you to help you get there. And then as they became more and more proficient, we began to 
give a little bit more and give a little bit more. And now we're sort of in that place where, like John, John mentioned earlier, you know, ask the question and then say, so do you really need me? Right. And, and they they start they're starting to develop. And now we're a little bit further down the curve with most of the team. And and so they're looking at us saying, can you guys leave again? Yeah. What are you guys working on? What is your what is your role in the business? So I was over sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. Now I just have the sales. And so I have a sales manager and he reports to me and then I'm I'm working on leadership so we're in the process of developing the leadership Avertis Leadership Academy so we're actually developing a leadership system where we can begin to find the bench strength in the organization so how do we bring a young guy along and create leadership in his life a lot of these kids that are coming in they they don't they can't see what's what's coming they can't see where they're going so we're we're beginning to develop that and strategically find how we can help those guys grow as leaders and develop bench strength in the organization. So that's my side. We've got finance. John is beginning to hand that off. Um, we'll always obviously keep pretty close watch on that, but we have that role in place. He's taken marketing. That that manager is also very capable and, and does a great job. So, you know, elevating that a little bit and trying to create bench strength now in, in the team is really where where we are so yeah, yeah awesome so it's a focus on the future now you're not in the day-to-day operations as much anymore it's really on where are we going and how are we going to get there sure great and we and we run you know so we run the eos model so mm-hmm. we you know we run eos and we're actually both really visionaries but john's been kind enough to take the integrator role and and so he's kind of doing that and i'm sort of still looking for, you know, hey, how are we going to do this next? And, you know, what's, what are the big relationships that we could be working on? What are the things that we can really leverage to be able to scale the business? So fewer, better, and then, and then scale. Nice. Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, Estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to builderprime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. So I have just one more question for each of them, and then I'm going to turn it over to you guys, okay, to get your questions ready. John, so you you come from the install side of the business, not from the sales side of the business, which is rare. It's unique. At the beginning, you were out selling, right? After you got off the roof, then you were out selling. Yeah, I was. I mean, first off, you had to let go of the install, something that you probably do better than anybody in the United States, 
right? But you have to let that go and now give it to other people. Okay, we do that. We get that. But sales seems to be a little bit harder. What was that process like for you? Because you went from one to five now? Four? Well, Quick. I'm um, five. 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 Quick. So how did that start? How did you deal with that? The sales system was a big part of it. Talk when about I, that. When, when you I say saw, sales system. When I, when I saw how much a sales system cost, I was like, oh, my God, these guys get a lot of money. Yeah. But, uh, but the thing is, is uh, so I promised Sherry that if we hired a sales coach to put in a sales system in place, that I would do everything that he said. So we meet up with him, and he gets this iPad out, big one too. I never saw one that big. And he says, uh, he starts going through this iPad presentation, and I'm sitting there with the first salesman. I'm like, nobody's going to buy this. And I, because I could go in with a, a folder and a wrinkled up sample and sell a roof. So first time I went out to do this process and sit in the house, it's cold call. I didn't know who the people were, which was rare. It was like the first time they saw Star Wars. And I was like, well, this is awesome. And it was the first time I offered financing. And they were like, financing? This is, they couldn't believe it. And they were thankful that we were offering them the financing because they had the money, but it was all the money they had. And that was like the light bulb went on and literally went home and said, I got to get another salesman because I, I, I don't mind doing this, but I really don't like doing it. So, so we hired number two like a week later. Yeah. Yep. But it started with the system, and I like what you said. So the key thing that he said in there was what? The key thing he said in there was I hired this coach, and I promised Cherry what? That I would do everything he said to do. Okay. So if you want to fail, hire an expert, but don't do what they say. Tell them, no, I think it would be better if we did it this way, or my customers won't do that, or my customers don't buy like that. Okay? It's the number one way to fail, right? And to his credit, he put his ego aside, right? Said, okay, I'm going to do what this person said because this person is an expert. And now, you know, just three years later, he's got five salespeople out on the road. They're killing it. Like, their numbers are amazing, right? And I think a lot of it comes from you being willing to put your ego aside and I'm going to do what this guy tells me to do because I know that he's going to teach me the right way to do it. There was one more part to this. About a week prior, two weeks prior to me going through the coaching, I was in a very interesting seminar and I was challenged as a master elite GAF, you know, installer and our value and talking about our value. And we were challenged to add $100 a square to our price. Now, we were at, like, back then, $300 a square. So I, that Saturday, I added $100 a square to the bottom line, sold three jobs, and never looked back. And if you don't make the decision to do it, it won't yeah. do itself. And, and you should know now that John and Sherry are not queasy at all when it comes to raising prices. If an expense goes up, he ain't paying for it. And he said it how many times. He's in our mastermind group, and we've heard him say it a number of times. I am paying for it. So he's done a very good job of sending the bill where it belongs to the customer. Okay? Hmm? Production. Go ahead. After attending the 2019 Accelerate event, 
uh, realizing that I was now going to charge $1,000 a window. Back in 2019, I realized that I had a lot of work to do besides just raising my price. So you had gave a couple of examples like uh, Ari's roofing with the Cat 3 installation system. Yeah. So me, I'm, I'm an installation guy, so I couldn't come up with any of these ideas. So I just wrote it down. I said, well, I'm going to copy that and do the same thing. So I created a, a thermal break installation system. So it's a 60-point installation checklist from start to finish that all of my installers follow. I also, to differentiate myself, I, at the time I was using Softlight as my window manufacturer, and they wouldn't allow me to expand into New Jersey. And I was just stuck in my market, so I, I just, I was frustrated. And I had a, does anybody here know Neil and Bimbo from Sunrise? Funny guy, great guy. I gave him five minutes the first time he walked in my office. I'm from New York. I don't know where this guy is from. Crazy man. Literally gave him five minutes. Was still with Softlight. Softlight wouldn't make an exclusive window for me, so I, I approached Sunrise and Neil. And within two weeks, they created a Thermalast window. So I had a Thermalast window. I had an exclusive thermal break installation process. It allowed me to differentiate myself from my competitors. And then I met John, and I said, John, I need to know how to sell this. And I ponied up the money and followed his system. So same thing. Nothing original, just used the resources that they had here, followed it, and that's it, $5 million. Nice. Yep, cool. So all, all of these guys are, are talking about one of the key phrases that we, we lean in on in our organization, and um, the phrase is cut the curve. Cut the curve. And so what, what you've heard everybody talk about is if you can find someone who already knows how to do it, why would you not ask them to help you do it? Because we're all too proud and we think we know better, right? I mean, no, we don't, we don't need to do that. So if you can find someone who's done it before or already knows how to do something, ask them for help. Ask them if they'll let you have their system. You would be surprised how many people will just, you know. Now, some guys want to sell it. John, sorry. Don't mean to tell everybody it should be free. But, but the point of saying that is, you know, if you really want to get where you want to go, you could take the long road or you can take the high road. It happened right over there. Two people were talking. I, I think it was with Berman. And somebody was asking him about a script or something. And Berman said, just send me an email, I'll send you a copy of it, of ours. Just like that. Just like that, right? So I like that, cut the curve. So, okay, questions. Who's got a question for these guys? Frank, here you go. That was a great throw, Brian. Oh, I don't know how to start this, but as, I mean, I've, I've, I've got to know John at the profitability and got to know Brian a lot uh, there as well. And, Brian kind of knows my story. And we're kind of at that point now, too. We're, you know, about two and a half million, and it's been a lot of work to get there. And we have no sales process. We have, so we have been, since the profitability seminar, we've been in the process of trying to figure out what's right for us. Really, I've talked to John Angeles, I've talked to Brian, and I talked to John, and then others in the industry as well. So my question is, and I think it's to Mr. O'Leary, because I think he's probably closest to what, how I am, and 
Was it difficult? What I was told was, is if you're not a one-close company already, and you're not a one-close salesperson, then how will you be able to train that in your own company? You're going to be surprised to hear this, but we're not a one-call close. Okay. We don't put any pressure. If, if yes, we don't either. Dan? Go ahead. Okay. We're not a one-call close. Oh, okay. We, we put zero pressure on the people. Okay, if, you, if you sell for me and I find out you're pressuring somebody, you're done. We don't need to be. We do great work. We have 305 five-star reviews on Google for roofing. You don't have to be a one-call close, but you have to have a process. And you'll be surprised at what happens when, you, when you're two and a half million how quickly three and a half million is going to come, but you need to prepare for it. And, and when you get a salesman out there, you have to have scripts for him. And he might go off it a little bit, but you have to have a duplicatable process mm -hmm. because after your first guy, when you see how that works, you're going to want a second one. And they all need to be telling the same story and doing the same thing. Or you have one salesperson and then, I, and then me. And, um, I want to hire another one, but I don't want to do it until I have the process in place. So, it, it's, uh... As you make that decision, I want to just share one distinction, and that is high-pressure sales isn't a one-call close or a right. two-call close. High-pressure sales is when a salesperson does what's in their own best interest and not the consumer's. Yep. Amen. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So my question would be, at $2.5 million, why are you selling? if you know that there's other people that can do it for you. Because nobody could ever sell a roof for me. And there's five guys now selling roofs for me. So. I know, I haven't got out of the role yet. Because I sell half, more than 50% of the work. Listen, every time I put my tool belt on at the office and put a door in or fix something, everybody tells me, put my tool belt down. You know, it's a habit, but that's different. That's different. I haven't found anybody to replace me yet. <laughs> All right. Next, right over there. Can you toss, Frank, can you toss that over to him? This question is for Brian Miller, since uh, I'm a new deck guy, and you just oh, offer. Is that you? I can't see you. <laughs> it is you. Yeah. <laughs> Good, man. Since uh, you offer your sales system, I like to ask for it. <laughs> 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 I like hey, the, I think the guy sitting to your right already has one for you. No, that's fine. Come already, see me. I already yeah. asked him to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so is that, are you telling me he didn't give it to you? Come on, so, Brian. So kidding aside, so uh, I do all the sales right now with uh, all the sales, all the marketing, basically wearing all the hat beside production. So for a guy like me, what is your advice uh, besides getting the sale process, which I know you're going to give it to me? <laughs> Be That's besides, the assumptive close for those of you who aren't salespeople. Besides that, what is your first step of developing that, just buying your time back? And what is your first step? Do you go and hire a sales guy or do you actually write out a script? Or what is your advice for a guy like me? like the guy in my position. 
So there's a lot there. Let's just go with the buy your time back concept. So we had a nice phone conversation about that, right? Virtual assistant or exec assistant that you can do that takes a bunch of menial tasks off your plate. Responding to email, answering phone calls, doing things like that, that, that you can pay someone a very reasonable rate and, and buy your time back. Let's just say you're a $100 an hour guy. You can find somebody for $15 or $10 or $12 an hour to do those things and you get that time back. When you start to look at sort of next, next high value, right? If you are the only guy selling and that's your skill, but you're not maybe the guy who can swing the hammer and build the deck the best, and you've got several crews and you need then to move to the next place, then think about, do I wanna employ a guy who could manage those guys out there in the field? Would, what makes the most sense for you and your business based on your skill set? and where you are today. So I can tell you for, for me, I'm a sales guy, always have been a sales guy, love being a sales guy, but I've never built a deck with my own hands. I mean, I've helped do that, but, but I was never hammer swinging as a deck guy, slung plenty of paint in my ears and other things like that, but, but you don't want me to be the guy installing the deck. So I went and found guys who could do that, and then I found someone who had skill to manage that person. So. You know, we'll, we can talk a little bit more offline, but I think for you to buy your time back, get that time given to someone who's at less cost so that you can get that high value time back to invest it back into the business to develop someone to take the next role. You need the time to be able to develop the people or to build the processes. Yeah. Did that cool. answer the question? Thank you. Over here. Can you toss it right over there? What's happening? I'm Michael Torres here in Central Florida, and I came here last year, and I've been reinventing absolutely everything about our company. So hopefully you can start out, dude, like better than I did, because I went 15 years, and then I was losing my money, losing everything. So now with the reinvention, we are doing the processes. I've invested a lot into reinventing the company, getting the paperwork, all that. Something that was kind of just almost like just went right over my head, but I caught it is my man on the right stool over there from my perspective. You said that the processes are changed, but then there's behavior change. And the behavior change is more difficult than the process development. And that's what I'm finding. Now our processes stay, say all communication is through our CRM. But that's not what everyone used to do. They used to just grab their cell phones and text people and do whatever. So my question is, is um, for someone who's maybe doing some of the process, who's in the middle of all this reinvention, how do I now help my team and I adapt with behavioral modifications to help the company be profitable? Yeah, thank you for that question. It's, it's a great question. The reality is behavioral change is so much easier when the change happens through them, not to them. A common mistake is my leadership team is, is six people and myself. We get together and we figure out everything that ails the company and then we push it down and say, you know, this is what we're doing to fix it. We don't actually do that because we have a lean mindset. And the reality is if you involve them in the decisions that you're making, if you get them to invest time and energy 
to improve the business. First of all, you're going to get a better result because they know the business better than you do. It's hard to admit that. And secondly, they're going to have buy-in instantly, right? So when you communicate with them over and over about the changes, you get them on board, you get them making suggestions on the improvements, it's a lot easier to implement. The second thing I would share is quite often we don't think of a very powerful term and that's sustainment, right? So especially us high D guys or gals, we'll just say, I did that stuff and now I'm done, I'm on to the next thing. And every process that we put into our business has a four week sustainment phase. And once a week we talk about our current changes and we talk about the changes that are in sustainment to make sure we're doing it. Everything has a four week sustainment phase. To turn around and think that something is completed because you dictated from on high will never get it done. But to inspect what you expect when it comes to significant behavioral changes will help a lot. And I hope that's helpful. That's great, thanks. Cool. I think we have room for, or time for one more question. Who's up? Nobody? One? Okay, cool. One over there. Oops, now. Can you grab that? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Got oh, she's got it over there. Thank you. Sorry. How are you? Uh, Pete Sullivan. You guys have all had, you know, just incredible stories, actually. Very impressive, and I've enjoyed it. Uh, you've had really big growth. And let me ask you, you know, in this time of where labor, both in-house and out, out of the house, is, you know, really challenging to get, how did you saw? I mean, because here we're getting sales, and everyone in this room is getting sales, and the profitability of is, you know, all over, depending on what your model is. But how are you dealing with, basically, your labor. You know, if you're all of a sudden having a, a 70% delta in three years in terms of your growth and your, and your revenues and all these jobs to install, I, I'd be just curious to see what strategies or what you guys have done that's worked in these past couple of years to, you know, really just to deal with it. You got an answer? <laughs> Brian and I talked about this on the second podcast that we were getting ready for a podcast, but it was actually the podcast. So we use the crews that we have. We do retail roofing replacements, and we use those crews to help bring more to us. They all have friends. They're all, they all live in the same town. They're, and also on top of it, because of our company, whether we need help or not, we keep a, a running list of anybody that calls and says, I'm an installer. I don't care, we, we take their name, their phone number. We got one now, this guy's been calling me once every quarter. He's got a couple installation crews, but it's winter time. And I know I'm gonna call him in the spring, I told him I'm gonna call him in the spring, but we keep him, we keep him on the side, but we've built the, the culture and, and we pay them. Another good point is to pay them. We pay our guys more than anybody in our market. Well, we also charge more than anybody in our market. And with that, they know that. And it doesn't take very long for word to get out who's paying more in the market. But using your crews to recruit new people or using your people to recruit new people is a lot, is very effective. They will bring friends. I have one crew. He wanted to be like this other guy he used to work for and he wanted to have three crews. Well, he brought a second crew and he hired them. It's an independent contractor. And he brought them. Now he has two crews. So it's kind of like promoting from within, but get them, get your, 
get your people that are working for you to bring in people because if you have a great company, they want to work for you. John, give it to Craig. Do you have an answer for this? He's, he's got an answer. Okay. Yeah, so the other thing is, you know, really have a plan for it. Don't just talk about it. Put your best people on it. I pulled a, I did, I'm going to contradict myself here, but I pulled a kid out of the field that I knew was really smart and wasn't a great carpenter's assistant, and he's now a business systems analyst for my group. But we put, a, we put together a plan just like our marketing plan. How much activity do we need? In the, you know, how much has to come into the top of the funnel to do X amount of interviews with X amount of offers, which equals X amount of, of accepted candidates? As of this morning, we were at 103.6% of capacity. We measure it. It gets reported out in our huddles three times a week by this young man. And you know, we just executed on a plan. One other idea I want to share, and I want to give credit to David Homovan right back there because he came up with it, we just executed a lot quicker than him, is utilizing Hatch to prospect, right? So if you're using Hatch or any texting tool for your lead generation to improve your contact rate, just try it with your prospects. You know, it's had a significant increase in our contact rate because we're not having to pick up the phone and actually call them. So David, it was a great idea and uh, can't wait to teach you how to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, so we planned for the growth ahead of time. So I did 800,000 in 2018, 1.2 in 2019, 1.6 in 2020, and 5 million last year. But I had planned for that growth. So. I knew how many crews I needed to install that revenue. So I was able to work that backward. So I knew going into the year, I had the plan on paper. So by March, I needed a second crew. By July, I needed a third crew. And I actually ended the year with three full-time in-house crews. I was also able to bring on a production manager right now, just recently. And he has access to some subcontractors. And I don't want to get into the employee versus subcontractor debate. I'd prefer to stay in-house. I think I've better control of them. But I've planned for that growth, and I'm constantly marketing. So Indeed, Facebook, I'm, I'm always reaching out. And because I've planned for that, I've been able to stay out ahead of it. So, And by the way, one of the things that I didn't bring up in the gym story was was exactly that. Because, and I'm glad you just brought it up, because he had been planning for that growth. He worked his numbers and he knew what he needed. He knew what needed to happen. The thing with the gym story was we were having a conversation about 2022 in February, okay? Five weeks of the year was already gone. That conversation should have happened in the fourth quarter of the year before. He was ready way ahead of time, by the way, all these guys, they all have that in common. It was all planned for ahead of time. Okay? You got a question, Tim? Well, no, I just have Craig talk about how he did, how you basically paid sign up bonuses and how you split it up. That's very valuable, I think. How did I do it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, it was just a simple math equation. It just took me a little while to get there. So when we were struggling, as we were working through creating an actual recruiting plan, I sort of just put the figure on like what is a lead installer worth to my business and, and what's happening when I don't have it. And we went all in on sign-on bonuses. We were paying $5,000 for someone to join the company. And there were some requirements. And you had to be there for 90 days. You had to have a successful 90-day review. 
and then you would get paid out $1,000 a month for the five months. We also would pay out to, is it John? To John's point, $5,000 for somebody who referred somebody who joined. So we could essentially pay $10,000 for it. And so, again, they have to be in good standing and they have to be in the company. But if I told you today I could give you two lead installers or whatever you call them in your organization and you said write me a check for $10,000 and I was going to guarantee they were going to work out, I think everybody would have their checkbook out. It's really hard to fill. So thank you for that. So just That's That's correct. And just to, two points of clarification. One is that 5,000 goes up and down. We're at 103%, where we just made a decision Monday to, to get to 110% capacity. So that number goes up and down. We're going to probably end up around 3,000 for the bonus. The other thing is you need to be prepared to have tough conversations with your team. Now, in my market, we're the highest priced home improvement, uh, home remodeling company. I'm not proud of that. I'm not afraid of that. And we also pay, I think, the highest rates for leads. But you're going to get somebody who says, well, I didn't get that, or I didn't get this. We also treat our employees extremely well. We really foster a culture that we don't get a lot of that. And typically when somebody comes and says, well, why didn't I get a sign-on bonus, I'm thinking to myself, well, you're going to get it at your next job because you're not going to be a great fit here for, for long. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Right? All right. right. I mean, if, if you're marketing like I am, you know what the cost per acquisition is for a lead installer, just like a lead. And if you know that number, you can pay that to somebody within your crew that refers them to you. So it's very simple. It's, uh, this is just basic math. It's not, it's not hard. Yeah. I just want to, what's your name? Peter. Peter. I just wanted to mention something else because I think if you're in it, like we're talking about planning ahead, and that's, that's important. Right? No doubt about it, it's important, but you're in it now. And so you need an answer, you need a solution now, you need to be able to do something now. One of the things that we have done really effectively in the last year is we, we have gone to our best guys and said, we will put another crew in business with you. If, if you bring them here, we'll teach them, we'll train them, we'll pay you to train them, and that will get another crew for you, and then you, now you have two sets of guys that you're working. You can go work two jobs. And we will teach you how to become a supervisor over those guys. And we've had our, our guys really take to that. So we have seven crews out in the field right now, and four of them are, are groups of two and two. So more than half of our teams are guys that we raised up and taught them, right? And all of those guys are also getting business training and development from us and our team. So we're teaching them how to be profitable. We're teaching them how to make money. We're teaching them the importance of developing their teams and the people below them, and that's really helping to foster the growth of our teams inside the company. Language barrier. Para mí no hay problema en español. If you don't know Spanish, you should learn. Working on it. Yeah, I'm a white dude from upstate central New York, right? So. Yeah. And I, I say that with all due respect because it's, it's really critical. Yeah. Most of them understand the money. I, I, got, I, got, I got six words, and they're all tools or the bathroom. So they understand the money when it comes down to it. And another thing you can do to stay out ahead of it, you can look for a retire or an installer that's getting ready to retire in your industry. 
I'm working on that right now. I have a top-notch window installer in my market, 58. It's getting tired, climbing up and down the ladder every day. Great guy. Trying to bring him in-house and try to create a, a pupils with tools program. So we're trying to develop new installers and even people outside of the industry. So I'll take an HVAC guy, I'll take a, a plumber, anybody that wants to work with their hands. And we're actually starting to market that on Facebook. So we're talking to you know, the kids that have graduated high school, the kids that have even graduated college with the expensive degree and they're at Best Buy working for 15 bucks an hour. We're trying to make them realize that now is a tremendous opportunity to, to get into the trade. You can make some serious money here. And like I said, we're just trying to stay ahead of that by developing people from outside the industry. Because, you know, I mean, I have installers that have worked for me, and then they bounce to the next guy, and they're hard to find. So, yeah. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate you doing this. I hope this was a value for you guys. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a different way? Did it spark an idea or ideas that you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. If it did, I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you leave a five-star review of the podcast? By doing so, you'll help other contractors find the podcast more easily so that we can help them achieve more success, wealth, and freedom. And before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. In fact, if you haven't already, make sure you go to thewealthycontractor.com and get your free copy of my latest book, The 7 Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. Just pay shipping and handling and I'll take care of the cost of the book. So until next time, this is Brian Cascavalsia. 